So good evening from me too. Welcome uh, as well. I'm Tim. Uh, I'm going to uh, just start in uh, a way which I hadn't intended, but uh, we kind of roll with what we understand, our best understanding of what we think the Lord is doing. And I just felt him uh, impress something on me, which I was going to leave to the end, but I'm not. Um, so if you'll just bear with me, um, I-, I want to just uh, take a moment. You might want to close your eyes. I, I just sense that um, I, he- I heard a phrase this week. And I believe it would apply to some here. And I think God wants to bring us freedom in a particular area. And the phrase goes like this. I was in an intimate relationship with my circumstances and I needed a breakup. By which was meant that in answer to the question, how are you, some of us in the room answer that entirely dependent on what our life looks like at the moment, entirely dependent on whether things are going well or things are not going well, whether we're poorly, whether we're sick, whether we're broke, whether we're happy, whether we're whatever. And so our life, how we are, tracks entirely with our circumstances. We are in an intimate relationship with our circumstances. And Jesus wants to bring us a freedom and wants to enable a breakup of that to happen so that we can become and move into a more intimate relationship with him, where how we are is not so determined by those things. How we are is determined by where we are in relationship with him. May I just pray over us, and if that applies to you, I'd love you to put a a hand on a heart uh, or just kind of indicate in some way, maybe somebody next to you could put a a hand on a shoulder. can I, can I just pray? Uh, this, is, this matters so much, doesn't it? It matters so much. I remember reading a, a book as a teenager, a guy called Richard Wurmbrandt, spent many, many years in a Romanian prison. Tortured for Christ was the book. He was tortured, and yet he was the man who was the most full of joy of anybody I've ever read about. Why? Because he had learnt that his circumstances don't di- have to dictate how he is. Father, we thank you for that most extraordinary and beautiful of truths, and it it, it feels very difficult to grab a hold of at times, but God, I believe that you're wanting to bring a freedom. You always want to move us into a place of greater freedom. You always want to move us into a place of greater connection with yourself. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you do what I believe you want to do in this particular arena. And for those of us who would say that we are in an intimate relationship with our circumstances, how we are is almost entirely dependent on how our life is and how our situation is and what What's going on? God, we speak your freedom tonight. We speak a breakthrough and a breakup in that relationship. Would you release us into a new freedom? Would you release us into a, a new heart freedom, a new heart dependence on you and not on the situations around us, not on the size of our bank account or the state of our relationships or, how, or, or the state of our health or what we're feeling, but God, would you enable us to find our center ground in you? Would you bless us to do that? Only you can do this, God, but thank you, for your, thank you for power. So that healing power, that freeing power, be released now in Jesus' name. We pray and we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. If that's you, I'd love it if you also join those who will come forward at the end and just pray a, a greater freedom. The freedom, of course, is, is, uh, is kind of step by step, doesn't happen all at once, but there are decisive moments of breakthrough uh, on the journey. We'll speak about that a little bit, actually, as we go through this evening. You might want to find Mark 5 if you've got a Bible. We'll get there in a moment. I'm going to ask one of those big questions, though, to start with. (coughs) Um, Very unfair, big question, because I'm not going to give you nearly enough time to think of the answer. And it's a slightly gigantic question, um, which is also a bit unfair on on a Sunday evening. But here it is. 
What are you called to? What are you called to? What are you called to do? Who are you called to be? How do you understand your sense of what you are called to? If I, if I narrowed the time scale, I think it would make it easier. What are you called to in the next 24 hours might be okay. You know, finish my university assignment. Uh, have that important meeting, that difficult conversation, whatever. In the next week, maybe you could answer it. Next month, but what about the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, the end of your life? What are you called to? Let me turn it around the other way. Think about the end of your life. Think about uh, what you would want to have said over you. What's going to appear on your epitaph, if you have one, on the, on the headstone of your grave? Will that say something about what you felt called to and whether you fulfilled it in your life? Here's, here's a few just to get you started. Got a few that will give you... Oh, that's a bit small, isn't it? I don't know if you can read any of those. I'll give you a moment. You can have a giggle for a while. I think clairvoyance is my favourite. She should have seen it coming. <laughs> what will it say on yours? Will you have fulfilled... Thanks, Hudson, that's enough. Don't distract them now. How will you have fulfilled your calling? What we're considering tonight is one of the most significant callings that apply to all of us in the room who would consider ourselves followers of Jesus which will be the majority. Not all, but the majority. If you're not, so welcome here. Glad that you're not. You're on the journey. You're, you're here because you're seeking and hope they'll be, they'll be in it for, for, for something in it for you tonight. So this calling, this isn't an optional. It's not a take it or leave it. This comes with the territory of being a follower of Jesus. I'm going to express it like this. There is a call on my life and yours to steward the transforming power of Jesus Christ. There is a call on your life and mine to, to steward the transforming power of Jesus Christ. One of the questions that God will ask all of us one day is this, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Everybody, everybody will get that question. Everybody will have to face that question. Did you reject him, accept him, worship him, ignore him, whatever? But you who claimed Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, who received him in some way into your life, how did you steward the transforming power of Jesus Christ in your life? Here's a little story from Mark chapter 5. If you've got it, I'm going to read a few verses, uh, beginning verse 1. Thanks, Hudson. It's be on the screen. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves. He could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. And with a shriek he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Uh, and I've left a bit of the story out there. You might remember this story. It's familiar. What Jesus does is he casts the evil spirits out of the man and sends them into a herd of pigs. And the pigs uh, kind of do a kamikaze thing over the cliff and, and, and drown in the sea. So there's a lot of commotion going on and the farmers are unhappy. People rushed out to see what had happened. Of course they did. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons 
And he was sitting there now, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. And then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away, leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your people and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Love that story. One of a number of stories that will be familiar to us, if you know your Bibles at all, where a person who is very far from God, in a very broken place, with significant personal problems, encounters Jesus, is touched by his uh, extraordinary power. Something significant happens, of course. A shift happens, a change happens, and his life is not the same. In this case, this, this man is, is set free, is, is delivered from a demonic oppression, demons that have been uh, afflicting him. And uh, he begins to think and act straight and becomes the first evangelist to the Gentiles, actually recorded in the, in the scriptures to the, the non-Jewish people. And he goes around, nothing's going to stop this guy from telling everybody what's happened to him. Of course, uh, he's not. This encounter and what it meant for him. He doesn't know much. Let's notice that. He hasn't got his theology all sorted out. It would be hard to argue that he's suddenly got great understanding of Jesus' teaching or anything like that. But what he has got is a story of Jesus transforming power. Would you agree? He's got a story of Jesus transforming power, and he's compelled to tell it. You might already be thinking one or two other stories that sound a little bit like that, familiar from the Scriptures. Maybe you're thinking of the Samaritan woman at uh, at the well in John 4. Jesus comes through. You remember the story, and she rushes off when they've had their encounter, and she goes to the village, and she says, "'Come and see this guy!' who's told me everything that I ever did. It's a huge exaggeration, actually. He didn't do anything of the sort, but she was so compelled by this guy. She said, come and see, it's extraordinary. And her whole life is turned upside down. She experiences his power. Zacchaeus, remember him? Short guy, tax man, hated by everybody, has a cup of tea with Jesus, finds his whole mindset, his whole value system is shifted by that encounter. And he begins to live life in a totally new way, restores uh, money fourfold to the people that he's cheated, sets things right in his relationships. How about Saul? Remember him? Spent uh, his life killing Christians. That was his calling. Meets Jesus on the road. Extraordinary turnaround in his life, in his identity, in his purpose. And now the very group that he felt compelled and called to, uh, to kill and destroy and remove from the face of the earth are the very group of people that he wants to encourage and make more of. And he spends the rest of his life doing it. He literally gives his whole life to that cause. You'll think of others, pretty much all the apostles. Uh, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, remember him? Others, many, 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 and onwards down the ages. Right up to our day, Jesus transforming power. When would, what would be your last evidence of Jesus transforming power at work in your life or around your life? There's a bunch of students up in uh, a university up north, where we, uh, which we know well, because two of our sons are among that group of, of students. God's doing some amazing things. One of those students has got a bit of a plan, and he, whenever anybody offers him something in the street, he says, well, I'm very happy to hear what you're offering as long as you'll let me pray for you afterwards. I think that's quite a good tactic, by the way. I'm, I'm adopting that. Plenty of people on Cheltenham High Street. And so he's walking over a bridge, this student, last week, and uh, somebody wanted to sell him electricity. He 
uh, had, had a, he, he listened to them, uh, trying to sell him electricity, and then said, thank you very much. And if I, now may I pray for you? Is there anything uh, in your body? Have you got any pain in your body? Anything at all that I could pray for? And the guy says, yes, I've got a very, very sore elbow. It's been hurting for a very long time. The student prays for that in the name of Jesus. It's immediately healed. The guy's pretty amazed because uh, it's been sore for a long, a long time. And the student says to him, uh, I believe that Jesus wants to do the same for your heart as he's just done for your elbow. Where, where are you at with, with this person, Jesus? Are you anywhere? And they begin a little dialogue conversation about Jesus. And uh, the student ends up inviting and helping this man to begin the, the journey of opening his life up to a relationship with Jesus Christ. At which point, he calls over to his colleagues, there's two girls over there, and he calls them over and says, you won't believe what's happened. This guy's prayed for me, my arm's been healed, and I've kind of prayed a prayer, and I'm beginning to uh, enter into a relationship with Jesus. You know, who knew? And, uh, and, the, and the girl says, well, Mike, I've got a really bad shoulder. And so the student ends up putting his hand on the shoulder, praying in the name of Jesus for the shoulder, and the shoulder gets immediately healed, and they begin, and she starts crying, and they begin a conversation too. And the other one is also fairly impacted by this scenario that's being played out. And, um, and they exchange WhatsApp numbers. So they're now in a little WhatsApp group. The student has bought them some Bibles and they're hoping to go to church next week. Stories of transforming power. Now, of course, not all God's stories look like that. We love those kind of stories. Of course we do. Why wouldn't we? Not all stories start like that. They don't need to. They're not all miraculous or supernatural. And I want to say this very strongly. So hear me carefully in view of where we're going after this. How we start is not nearly as important as how we finish. It doesn't actually matter that much how we start the journey of following Jesus. The key thing is it is a journey. And one of the key questions is how do we finish it? Jesus himself tells the story of the parable of the sower, doesn't he? Where tragically, there are those who start the journey very enthusiastically but very quickly give up because of whatever, whatever, persuaded by other things, or they haven't got time, or they're too busy, or it's too hard, or, or whatever. There are those other ones who get entangled in all kinds of other priorities through the course of life, and they give up tragically, and they don't finish that Christian journey well, or indeed at all. I don't know if you, if you ever think this yourself. I, I, I'm, one of the things I'm really looking forward to in heaven is asking God, so what happened to what happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to this guy that we've just read about, the guy in the story who's demon-possessed and gets transformed, his life's turned upside down? We don't hear, we don't know. Love to find out. Did they finish well? But what I'm focusing on here is this. They all have a story of change. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story of change. We all have a story of God's love and God's power impacting us in some way. And the question is this. What are you doing with that story? You cannot be a Christian person. You can't be a follower of Jesus without understanding that God takes the initiative. He starts it in loving us, in coming, in dying for us, in forgiving us, in offering us new life, new purpose, in forgiving us from our sin, drawing us in relationship to him. So sure, we make some decisions, absolutely, but they're only ever in response to what he has initiated. But we have a story. We already have a story. We have an experience of transformation, all of us who have begun that journey. I might want to say, in brackets, how is that story developing? How is that transformation continuing? Have we got stuck along the way? Did it start well, but we've kind of stalled and we're not sure? And we don't know that we could easily answer that question. Are we still going? Are we still being transformed bit by bit? Sometimes it's hard to see that in ourselves, for sure. 
And it never looks linear, by the way. It never looks from one degree of glory to another, even though that's what the scripture says. But I don't interpret that as meaning some neat graph that goes onwards towards uh, conformity to Jesus. And we do know, don't we, that it's in the hardest times, it's in the deepest valleys, it's in our most broken and our most painful places, that if somehow we can choose to trust God in those places, that his deepest and most profound transforming work happens. There'll be a word for for many of us in the room there. If that's where you're at, hang in there. Because God will be doing a beautiful thing if you will let him. And we will be being transformed. But we need to go on being transformed, not just get stuck at the beginning. But it's one of our highest callings to share the story, the stories of change, to share the stories of transformation. But actually it's more than that, isn't it? It isn't just a message or a story that we're asked to share or called to share. Most profoundly, friends, let's remind ourselves, it's Jesus. He's the story. It's his presence in our lives that makes the change possible. His power of love, his grace that he's shown to us. Him dwelling by his spirit in us. He's the story. It's not just that we've got a story in some extraordinary, mysterious way. We have Jesus to share and who he is to us. Reminder, God's great plan for history is that he's gathering a family. That's where I want to summarize it tonight. God's great plan from beginning to end is that his plan is to gather a family. We're all made by God, we're all loved by God, but we're not all children of God. You get to choose to be in his family or not. The family that exists on earth and one day will be with him forever in heaven. For God to gather his family, what needs to happen? People need to know Jesus. Simple as. If you thought you were coming to something more profound tonight, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but or more sophisticated or complicated. But for God to gather his family, for, God to, for, for God's plan to be fulfilled, people need to know Jesus, need to see Jesus, need to hear Jesus, need to experience Jesus. We owe the world encounters with Jesus. Trinity, 6 p.m., 2008, deepest, darkest November. Please hear it. We owe the world encounters with Jesus. Romans 10 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, brackets, will join the family, will begin a journey of transformation, freedom, purpose, destiny, new life, new hope, new future, now and eternally. But how can they? How can they call on him to to do all of that, to save them, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Forgive me, if I had the cure for cancer here in my hand, and I chose to do nothing with it but keep it to myself, I should be locked up. That will be an act of such criminal negligence, it will be scandalous. You can see where I'm going with that. Have we not been entrusted with something even greater, more potent, the grace of God that deals with the, 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 the heart cancer 
of my brokenness and my, my rebellion and my own selfish choices sets me free to live forever in the love of the Father. Have I not within me the very presence of God by his Holy Spirit to, to, to encourage me, to instruct me, to lead me, to guide me, to show grace, to lead me into his divine purposes? So of course we're missionaries, all of us. You know that. We're sent ones, that's all missionary means. We're messengers, we're commissioned to carry this. And we think about the Great Commissions, don't we? You think about, if I said Great Commission, you'd think Matthew 28, go, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, tell them everything that I told you till I come again. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Be followers of Jesus who make more followers of Jesus. It's the the mission statement that has always hung over the door of the church here. Make committed followers of Jesus who change nations and communities and go on doing that until Jesus comes again. First word though is a go, isn't it? So being sent out. I love the other commissions of Jesus. A good exercise, by the way. Get your New Testament. Go through every other commission that Jesus gives to his followers. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, in the same way, by the way, that he sent me. I'm sending you to do the same things that I've done. Go, he says somewhere else. Heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Go, proclaim good news to the poor. Release the captives, heal the blind, set the oppressed free. Hang around in Jerusalem for a bit till you get the power to do it, but then go, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go, 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 go. We owe the world encounters with Jesus. He is ascending God. I've said it before, I keep saying it again, it's a good reminder. Two-thirds of his very name say, go. I used to teach French. The French for God is not quite so encouraging. Three quarters of that word say die. I think there's something quite profound about that too, by the way. Go in God's name. What's the going looking like? What's the sharing of the transforming power of Jesus in your life looking like right now? Just some more reminders. Why? Why go again? Why? Why can't we just sit here and enjoy being together? In one sense, friends, how could we not? How could we not? We who have experienced at least something or even a large measure of the grace and goodness and love of God. Why? Because Jesus is the only hope for the world. There is no other. There is no other hope for Cheltenham. There is no other hope for the university students who surround you or the people in your your workplace or your place of recreation or your gym. There is no other. Why? Because hell is real. He said so. Eternal destinies are at stake. Why? Because he commanded it. He's the one who gave us the commission. Go. And if we call him Lord, isn't that enough? Isn't something of the measure of my love for Jesus, my willingness to follow, do what he says? Why? Because this is the deepest need. By far. of every man and woman and child on the planet, everybody that you know, everybody that you don't know, the nine or nine and a half people out of 10 walking along the street tomorrow that you walk along who have no meaningful connection with Jesus Christ, let alone the church. Their deepest need, got all kinds of needs, all kinds of presenting needs that we need to be speaking into, helping to address, but this is the deepest of all, to meet Jesus, to know him, to be known by him, to be changed by him. Jesus is desperate for people to know him. He's chosen us to be the messengers. And the truth is, I think, as I speak to myself, unless or until I really believe that, 
Encouragements about how we might go about that tend to fall on deaf ears. That's why I say it so often. It's why vision matters. It's why the why question matters. How questions really, really matter. But unless we've got the why in place, how is just going to feel superficial and we won't engage with it. So I've spent a little bit of time on that. So I'm going to move faster in the second half. Friends, I want to say, I understand, um, it's kind of easy to feel guilty about all of this, uh, and maybe some of us are, as if, so this is my assignment, I'm not very good at it, I'm not very motivated about it. Sharing Jesus is not the job description of a Christian. Please let's understand that. It is not the job description of a Christian. It's not, this is my role that I now have to play, because I call myself a follower of Jesus, so this is now my, my task, my project, my kind of assignment for life that I'm going to be good at or bad at or fail at or, or do really well or whatever. It's not that. That route, by the way, seeing it that way is, is a route to further guilt uh, and probably pride and fear and smugness and religious duty and legalism, a whole bunch of things which aren't very, aren't very pretty. What it is, surely, is the outworking of relationship. It's just the consequence of knowing something of Jesus in my life, and it's the outworking of that. And sure, I can put a whole load of blockages in the way. We could think of several. You can think of all the, all the things which stand in your way, uh, if, if things do stand in your way. Fear, I think, will be first among them. Just want to mention fear for a minute. Fear of being rejected, fear that we don't know the answers, as if, by the way, we need all the answers, which we don't. Fear of looking a bit stupid, uh, fear of not knowing what to say, fear of all sorts of things, fear of reputation, fear that it's going to be a bit uncomfortable, fear that people will ignore us, uh, risk our reputation, even whatever, getting rejected, as if that's the ultimate disaster. No, the ultimate disaster is people not knowing Jesus. That's the ultimate disaster. When we want to do something enough, we will push through the obstacles. Paul says, I am compelled by the love of God. Love that phrase, compelled, can't really stop. Nothing, I'm going to push over every obstacle, as uncomfortable and difficult as it will be, and it will get my head chopped off in the end. But I'm compelled by love, the love that I've received. Peter and John, they say, we can't help it. Sorry, they try and put them in prison. The Pharisees get all upset, the religious leaders. Sorry, we can't help it. We cannot help but speak and tell of the things that we've experienced about this Jesus. I would so love to, to move up that scale in, in terms of the, the motivation of my heart. We're going to pray for that later on. Fear didn't hold back the man from the Gerasenes, by the way. He didn't know anything. He didn't have any answers, by the way. He didn't look very much like Jesus. He didn't feel he needed to wait. He'd had an encounter with him, though, hadn't he? He'd met Jesus. He'd had an encounter. He had a story already to tell, and he was going to tell it, and nothing was going to stop him. I also want to say spiritually, and I have no good theology for this, but I believe that some fear is actually not our fear when we experience fear. I, th I believe that some of the fear that we experience when we think about going out of outside comfort zones to share Jesus with other people who don't yet know him is actually the enemy's fear about what will happen when we do, projected onto us. I've come to believe that. I don't have a neat package for that, and we could talk about that, but I believe that that's true. It's not even our fear. It's a pretty successful tactic, though, in my life very often. <clears throat> Here are four or five things really quickly. I'm just going to give some headlines. Here's some practical stuff, what sharing might look like. It'll involve these things at least. S for serving. That's the heart of loving. Of course it is. It's not rocket science. Tell us something we don't know, Tim. Well, Actually, we just need to, I just need reminding that simple acts of kindness done in love are the sort of bread and butter of followers of Jesus. There's Tabitha, is it? Uh, in in uh, Acts 9.36, Joppa, there's a disciple named Tabitha. It's the only thing that's said about it, her. She was always doing good and helping the poor. 
See, the more that we're full of Jesus, the more of what Jesus was full of comes out of us, which is kindness, which is love, which is generosity, which is sacrificial serving and giving. I came to serve, said the king of the universe, not to be served. So that's got to look like something, hasn't it, in our lives? I don't really need to say much more about that, other than Cheltenham, I don't think, the university, wherever, our places of work, I don't think they're that interested in hearing a message of transformation from untransformed people. That just plays to the hypocrisy card. And I know that's a dangerous thing to say, because I'm not saying that we're going to look perfect. Did the man from the Gerasenes look perfect, this demon-possessed man, two seconds after he's been delivered? Sure, of course he didn't. But it's got to look like something, hasn't it? There needs to be a little bit of consistency between what we say that we believe and what we're seeking to live out in the world. Actions are so, so powerful. Third century guy called Tertullian, he said, these early Christians, what marks them out? Look how they love. See their compassion. Most of them paid with their lives for that compassion, just showed in steady acts of kindness, self-sacrifice, costly. Transformation needs to continue in our lives. It'll be a bumpy ride, patchy times. There'll be times of breakthrough. But we need to keep growing. Our lives need to keep looking a bit more like Jesus, which means it all starts with serving. Of course it does. Uh, H is hospitality in, in sharing. I'm not going to talk about this much because David's talking about it next week. Uh, but, I, but I will just say, I met somebody in this church just a few weeks ago. They've got two beans to rub together, even less, one and a half beans. And yet I know that uh, after a Sunday morning, they scooped up a couple of their friends who looked a little bit lonely. They picked up another person on the way who looked a bit lonely back home into a very little house share that they share and shared a very modest meal with those, uh, with, with those three people who, who this person didn't know particularly well. And I was just so struck by the, by, by the gesture of generosity. It is not the size of the kitchen table that we've got, friends. She didn't even have a table. It's not the size of our wallet in terms of what we can afford to, to pay. It's the size of our hearts. That, that was yearning in the, in the case of this person just to reach out to some people uh, and share something precious about Jesus, his presence, his, um, his love. So underrated. A is for articulating. That means saying some things. Poor old Francis of Assisi. Feel so sorry for him. Do you know that quote which is always ascribed to him? And he did say something like this. Uh, Preach the gospel everywhere, wherever you go. And if necessary, use words. And so often this quote is used uh, to say, actions are where it's at. You've got to act and behave like people who are followers of Jesus, looking a bit like Jesus. Amen to that, absolutely. Actions speak louder than words every time. But if the implication is that we don't need words, not only is that wrong, it's, it's actually misquoting St. Francis, poor Francis of Assisi as well. He didn't say that. He actually, in, the, in context, he meant the opposite. He meant in the end... How do people come to faith in Jesus? Is it through sort of osmosis or what is it? You rock up in a, in a building and it sort of happens to you. How do you come to faith in Jesus? Do you not think we need to hear about Jesus? Of course. We have to be able to use some words. It's a cop-out to say otherwise. Sure, backed up by actions. And sure, we don't have all the answers. And sure, you know, we'll express that differently. And sure, we get tongue-tied. And sure, some people are more gifted than others. But friend, if we're feeling a little bit on the back foot about that one, can I just say, guess what? A bit like most things in life, we can learn. We can get better at this. We can improve. This isn't a gift that God just dumps and says, now you're great at sharing about Jesus. 
I know that person over there, they're brilliant. They'll leave it to them. Here am I, God, but send somebody else. Send them to do the talky bit. Friends, if we have a story of any sort of the transforming power and presence of Jesus in our lives, and most of us in the room do, then we need to be able to say something about it. And we get better by practice, by the way. There's a whole bunch of resources at the back. There always are, by the way. Let me commend the bookstore. There's some great stuff over there. Uh, Walk Across the Room by Bill Hybels. Very helpful about this. How, I don't even know where to start. What can I, how do I start a conversation? Whatever. Listen, it's not about a package of neat words, is it? It's about a heart intention that is prepared to let out what has already flowed in, in some way. Tell a story. Are we getting better at that? Could we get better at that? I'm a little concerned, if I'm really honest, that what we call personal evangelism has been reduced to, did I invite somebody to Alpha or not? Phew, I did. They didn't come, but phew, I invited somebody, so I've done my bit. Well, we love Alpha. Don't get me wrong. We love Alpha. But surely it can't amount to that, can it? Surely it can't amount to, well, I go to church and I really like it because I feel good there. I mean, that's good. (laughs) Friends, we've got stories to tell. We've got things to communicate to a world that is desperate, desperate, desperate and whose most urgent need is to hear them. Rely on God as the R. That's about prayer. Sign above my desk says, prayer, first resort or last. And I need reminding. Is prayer the last thing I get to when I've tried everything else? Or is it actually, do I soak everything in prayer? Nothing good happens without it being birthed in prayer. Prayer about everything. Do you remember we learned that very complicated verse a few weeks ago together? Or maybe that was the morning, I can't remember. Pray about everything. Why would we not pray about this? Pray for our friends, pray for ourselves, pray for courage to rise, pray for growth, pray for faith. If your heart is cold in this area, are you praying? Lord, show me why my heart is cold. What's blocking me from sharing you more? Touch me with a, a greater awareness of your love. Matthew 9.37, Jesus commends prayer. Gareth was talking about this this morning. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray. Ask the Lord to send out more workers into the harvest field. Bless me to be one of the answers to that prayer, I might add. Last one, experience. And I just want to dwell on this just for a moment. Inviting people to experience Jesus. I don't know your story, but I'm pretty sure that it began with some kind of experience of Jesus. Maybe it was miraculous. Maybe it was a healing. Maybe it was something like that. Taste and see that the Lord is good, says the psalm. Taste, and it's an experiential thing. Clever, clever jewelers do this, don't they, when you're um, buying a, a diamond ring, which, of course, I do, you know, often. Um, so some of them will talk your head off about the four C's and the cut and the clarity and the, you know, this, this and that, and where it's come from and all the rest. Clever jewelers just put the diamond on a nice black bit of velvet, nicely lit, and just let you look at it and let the diamond kind of do the, do the talking. Try Jesus, you'll like him. It's kind of the essence of the message. Come and see is the essence of the message right throughout the New Testament. Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see Jesus. The woman at the well goes to the village. Come and meet this man. Matthew goes to his tax collector mates. Come and meet this man, Jesus. Come and see, come and try, come and experience. There's something about him. I'm going to pray in in a moment or two that God would release over us the spirit of Andrew. Much as we love this Andrew, and much as this Andrew is an amazing Andrew. I mean the Apostle Andrew. He only features three times in the Gospel of John. John 1, as soon as he meets Jesus, do you know the first thing he does? He rushes off to Simon Peter, his brother, and he says, come and see. 
I've met this man called Jesus. You've got to come and see him. John 6, feeding of the 5,000. There's a boy with five loaves and two fish. Who finds him? Andrew does. What does Andrew do? He takes him to Jesus. He didn't have it all figured out. I reckon Andrew's thinking, I don't know if this is going to do, I don't know. This little kid, he's got a picnic, you know. But I know something about Jesus. And if I could just get him to Jesus, I wonder if something good might happen. Don't you think? I find it so reassuring. I think Andrew was clueless. But he knew something about Jesus because he'd had experience of it. So he invites this guy to, and there'll be people in heaven because he did that. John 12, Passover, some Greeks come into town. They find Philip, probably because he was a Greek, because he had a Greek kind of a name. And they said, sir, we want to see Jesus. And Philip was scared because Greeks aren't supposed to meet Jewish rabbis. What does Philip do? He goes to Andrew. What happens next? Andrew takes them to Jesus. And that's it. That's the story of Andrew in the Bible. Who'd like the spirit of Andrew? Amen. See, he didn't have it all figured out, but he knew something about Jesus. He had a story, and other people have got a story to tell because of that. And sure, this is only a start. I understand that. Please hear where I said at the beginning. It's just a beginning. And we're not at liberty to water down a gospel of grace. We're not at liberty to water down a gospel which goes on to say, come and die. Following Jesus is tough. Really hard. The alternative's worse, though. It is the way to life, through death to life, as baptism was signaled just last week here. That's the way to real life, coming to Jesus, kind of dying to our old life with him. So let's not water it down to, you know, come to Jesus and he'll fix your problems and bless you and make you feel really good and there are some really cute people at church. As if I'm the center of my life and Jesus kind of comes alongside just to kind of make me feel better. No, no, he's the king of the universe. He's at the center of the world, not me. And we in his grace, we just get to, to, to join in and we get to be loved and we get to be part of the family and we get to encounter him and we get to be changed bit by bit and we get to be forgiven and we get to discover that he's really, really good and he won't let us down, even in the darkest and most broken of our, our places. And he will sustain us and he is very powerful and he's put that power within us and he's given it for us and for others. I haven't got any more time to tell stories. There's going to tell a few more stories. I won't. I'm going to stop. But God released the spirit of Andrew over us. The more we love Jesus, the more we love what he loves, which is to see people come alive. The more we love Jesus, the more we hate what he hates, which is to see people stay dead. Sharing Jesus, serving others, being hospitable, articulating, saying stuff about him, relying on God in prayer, crucially, inviting people to experience him. We are called, friends, we are called to steward the transforming presence and power of Jesus. It's one of our highest callings. We owe the world encounters with Jesus to release his presence into our daily environments, to live increasingly, naturally, supernatural lives. We owe the world this. And I reckon this is a a part, and it's a pretty big part, of what it means to be all in for the world. Let's stand.
Okay. So, some time for us and the Lord. Don't worry about what's happening to your neighbor, person behind in front. This is not about them. It's not about me. It's about you and God. That's why we kind of find it helps to close eyes. It just keeps out any other distractions as much as possible. But and what this looks like is up to you and God, really. I reckon it's up to our willingness to, to receive from him, to go yes to him. Some stuff will already have landed. Your conversation then might be, so what does this look like in my life, Lord? I, I know this has landed. What, what does this look like for me now? Next steps, what are, you, what are you saying? What are you doing? For others, we just need to grab a hold of, of what God is saying. And if we're followers of Jesus, we will want to grab hold of what he's saying because it's always good, even when it's uncomfortable. It's always good. It's always for our good. It's always for the good of others. Why? Because he's love. So we're going to be quiet for a bit. Got quite a few things to share. But we're going to be quiet. We're going to allow God to speak. Holy Spirit, please speak. Please move. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You're so, so faithful. You're so consistent. So loving and therefore so persistent in your, in your chasing us down that we'd know more of your, your love and your, your goodness. We'd be reassured by more of who you say that we are. going to continue to pour grace into our lives to fulfill the, the purposes that you've called us to, big and small, to live the unique lives that you've called each of us to. So thank you. We, we receive your grace. For some of us, it's just about receiving your grace again today, just receiving the more of you, Holy Spirit, receiving the more of you, going, fill me. Lord, fill me again tonight. Be filled in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, be filled with his Spirit. Be filled, be filled, be filled. Be filled to overflowing, though. God, would you fill us to overflowing with your goodness? Would there be something of the overflow? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, would you release, I'm going to call it the Spirit of Andrew, would you release the spirit of Andrew over us in greater measure? Would you release that, that spirit, God, that encouragement, that power, 
that desire, that hunger, even that desperation to be the people who say, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and, you've got to come and meet Jesus. Would you release that over us? Or would you release the, the courage that is necessary for that? Would you release the heart that is necessary for that? Would you release the compassion that is necessary for that? I believe that God wants to, to soften our hearts it's one of my daily prayers. God, make me less judgmental. Make me more compassionate. Help me to feel as you feel. And that's painful. But if that's you, just pray that over your own heart. God, more compassion. Soften my judgmental. Soften my hard heart, Lord. Soften my hard heart that I might see as you see. Respond as you respond. Live more as you live. Act more as you act. Step into needs and situations. because I've got something to offer and his name is Jesus. Release that over us, Lord. Would you release that over us? Greater compassion. Greater compassion. You might even be thinking about somebody you find it very hard to be compassionate about. God can give you compassion for that person. The lost, the last, the least, the lonely, as well as the people that we like and who like us. All of them. hearts of compassion, God. The Spirit of Andrew released over us. Thank you, Jesus. Compelled by love. Compelled by love. That's a pretty good epitaph right there. Compelled by love. I believe the Lord's going to reveal a few more things, specific things that he wants us to deal with. But if these things are landing with you, for those, who, those of you who are going a yes to the spirit of Andrew released over you, what, just make your way to the front. Just come to the front. You want to be one of those who is compelled by love, who wants to be a come and see person. Come and see, come and see. Just come. You want your friends. You want your neighbors. You want your colleagues. You want those teammates, uni mates, family members to be people who Come and see and come and experience Jesus and get going in the journey of life. There's not much time to wait. There is an urgency over this, friends. There is an urgency over this. I want those of, you, those of us who uh, had that intimate relationship with circumstances and with praying that God would be breaking that off us so that our lives are less dependent on what stuff is like and more on what we're like with God. If that's you, could you come as well? Just come. Love to pray into that. So love to pray into that. What a beautiful gift to be freed in our hearts from alignment to our circumstances. If that's you, just come. We could do with some folks now just to come and pray, please. We know how this works. Unless you're visiting, if you're here for the first time, we, we, we end untidily like this. But please come. Please, please consider this a safe place. It's not really a place for spectators. It's a participating place. Either come and receive in this way, or if you're, you're a family member here, just come and pray. We, we do men to men, women to women.